In the year 165, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, a devastating epidemic swept through the Roman Empire. Some medical historians suspect this was the first appearance of smallpox in the West. Whatever the actual disease, it was lethal. During the 15-year duration of this epidemic, a quarter to a third of the population died. Mortality was so great in many cities that the Emperor Aurelius wrote of caravans of carts and wagons hauling out the dead. Then a century later came another great plague. Once again, the Greco-Roman world trembled as on all sides family, friends, and neighbors died horribly. No one knew how to treat the stricken, nor did most people try. During the first plague, the famous classical physician Galen fled Rome for his country estate where he stayed until the danger subsided. But for those who could not flee, the typical response was to try to avoid any contact with the afflicted, since it was understood that the disease was contagious. Hence, when the first symptom appeared, victims often were thrown into the streets where the dead and dying lay in piles. In a pastoral letter written during the second epidemic, the bishop Dionysius described the events in Alexandria. At the first onset of the disease, the pagans pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. As for action, Christians met the obligation to care for the sick rather than desert them, and thereby saved enormous numbers of lives. As William H. McNeil pointed out in his celebrated Plagues and Peoples, under the circumstances prevailing in this era, even quite elementary nursing will greatly reduce mortality. Simple provision of food and water, for instance, will allow persons who are temporarily too weak to cope for themselves to recover instead of perishing miserably. It is entirely plausible then that Christian nursing would have reduced mortality by as much as two-thirds. The fact that most stricken Christians survived did not go unnoticed, lending immense credibility to Christian miracle working. This surely must have produced some conversions, especially by those who were nursed back to health. But what went on during the epidemic was only an intensification of what went on every day among Christians. Indeed, the impact of Christian mercy was so evident that in the fourth century, when the Emperor Julian attempted to restore paganism, he exhorted the pagan priesthood to compete with the Christian charities. In a letter to the high priest of Galatia, Julian urged the distribution of grain and wine to the poor, noting that the impious Galilean Christians, in addition to their own poor, support ours, and it is shameful that our poor should be wanting our aid. But there was little to no response from, to Julian's proposals because there were no doctrines or traditional practices for the pagan priests to build upon. Christians believed in life everlasting. At most, pagans believed in an unattractive existence in the underworld. Thus, for Galen to have remained in Rome to treat the afflicted during the first great plague would have required far greater bravery than was needed by Christian deacons and pastors to do so. In the end, it seems that faith really mattered. The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark You're listening to Plowing and Planting, a podcast devoted to equipping Christians so that we might diligently and faithfully live in a hard world, tilling up the ground, joyfully planting the gospel, and watching God bring the growth.
All right, welcome to Plowing and Planting, uh, our first episode of a new season thinking through how we can be the church and how we can change the world. Uh, I'm here with Pastor David Peck, uh, the, the best co-host ever <laughs> on this podcast. On this one, maybe. I don't maybe. know. That's, maybe. Uh, <laughs> that's debatable. <laughs> Bro, we started this thing... Oh, man. It's been years ago now. Yeah, 2020. We started uh, this little podcast, and it grew. It it had different iterations. Uh, and then, I don't know, maybe it was that last summer, we shut the thing down. Yep. Was that in, it? We moved offices? Su- end of last summer. Yep, we were moving offices. We had a lot of good stuff going on. Didn't have good space at the time. <clears throat> Things weren't set up. And we were just busy. Yeah. And so we shut it all down, and now we're bringing it back. We're resurrecting... Uh, the good gospel gardening work of plowing and planting. Uh, you see what I did there? That's three Gs. That. Good That's... gospel gardening work. Yeah. And, and I kept it on, and planting. On, right. on, on, on theme. On yes, theme. Was... On point there. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, so you're a good Baptist. Thank you. Thank you. I try. Uh, it is a spiritual gift being able to alliterate. Uh, so so yeah. So a lot of good things have been happening over the last year in the life of our church. Uh, the beginning of this year, you came on full time. Yeah. Uh, and and really started uh, taking ownership and taking off this idea of being a pastor of missions, and, and we'll talk about what we mean by the word missions. Maybe that'd be a good thing to talk about, yeah. not if not in this episode, in the next. Uh, but we've had a lot of really good things happening, and we're seeing more and more the need for defining what we're doing for our people here at Waverly Place, mm-hmm. but also in helping others think about this. And so as we've continue to network with other churches in the valley, yeah. but also around the world, around the country, we see the need to, to kind of lay out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe someday it'll take the, the form of a book or something. I don't know. But but mm-hmm. at least for here and for this time, we feel like just doing this podcast again, refocusing it, retooling it, and repurposing it uh, would be helpful. Yeah. You agree? Disagree? I agree. I agree. <laughs> you think uh, you'd add? Well, we just we want to be equipping our church and putting that out in as many forms as possible for those who have varying schedules, varying life demands, uh, so that they can be uh, receiving instruction, encouragement, exhortation uh, through various methods that that we can employ to um, to try to encourage one another daily and to. Uh, be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's that's the goal. Yeah, this is something we're going to talk about later in the episode. But but as a church, we've really tried to own, especially Ephesians 4 right there that you just quoted, of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, is we don't have a point of view that ministry is only done by pastors right. or ministry is only done by the elite or those who are uh, overly educated. But but that the the church should be, and this is a phrase I think, well, at least I'm planning to use often in this episode, is the church should be the church militant. And by militant, I don't mean that we need to be violent. Those are two different right. words. But militant meaning uh, we're on the battlefield and mm-hmm. we're working uh, in light of having a king who's yeah. leading our way. Yeah. And so that kind of gets to the purpose of, of the podcast is that we want to, to, to mix metaphors here we want to train uh, God's people 
to 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 farm the land that God has given them. Now, mm-hmm. for some of us, that may be literal land, but right. but for all of us, there's there's a spiritual land that we've been called to to plow, mm-hmm. and there's been the gospel seed that we're called to plant. Yeah. And, and and as far as we've seen now. Uh, there are lots of really good podcasts out there. We'll mm-hmm. mention some on here. There, there are good godly brothers and sisters that that we could certainly recommend. Yeah. But I haven't found anything that's that's trying to hit the the the, the bullseye that we're trying to hit yeah. with this podcast. At least I haven't. Yeah. Uh, either it's because it's from a different perspective, a, a different denominational or, or stream mm-hmm. uh, in in the faith, uh, or. It's coming at it from a different mindset and thinking about it in a different perspective. Yeah. You might listen to more podcasts than I do, um, but has that been your experience? Yeah, a lot of them are either very broad and um, uh, more open to outside audiences, whereas we're going to be geared towards our church and trying to encourage our folks and and that may be beneficial to others, but we're starting with our congregation in mind mm-hmm. and not somebody else's yeah. or, or just the general population. And so I think that's going to be the biggest difference. And then, um, again, with the others being um, a lot of them either more culturally driven and trying to address big cultural issues or news of the day, various issues like that, or very targeted, which is good and helpful of parenting, of marriage, of work. And we're gonna we're gonna hit on all of those things, but again it's gonna be focused on the folks that we know that we minister to and, and others will find that helpful, but the point is to help those that, that God has entrusted to us. Yeah, I, I think I'm just thinking about what we're gonna be talking about this season and how how easy it is uh, for Christians in today's world to get discouraged or to feel overwhelmed by the state of our culture and the state mm-hmm. of the world, uh, particularly for us. And so this might be helpful for us to define our terms and to define our place and our position. Uh, it, it might be helpful for our own people, but it's probably... Uh, stuff they've heard before, but I think it'd be helpful for anybody listening, is that we are a Baptist church that is in a neighborhood of high need, Mm -hmm. seeking to cultivate and raise a godly generation in a biblical church that has an impact on the world around it. So, So I say all of those things on purpose because there are different streams and different points of view within Christianity that pick up on some of those right. but but may capitulate or cave in on others, mm-hmm. right? And we just I just don't believe that. I don't, as a yeah. pastor, I don't believe that it is impossible to have a godly family and a godly heritage, to have a rich liturgy, to have a strong doctrine, and to not also be able to minister in an area of high need right. uh, with with a, a fairly high level of, of poverty, a lack of education, mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse, and all that comes along with that, being in that area. Like, I believe that right. those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive, but that we can actually do this. Now, call me an opportunist. Call me a, a, a not a pessimist. What would be the opposite? Optimist. An optimist. That's the word I was looking for. Um, 
and maybe 15 or 20 years from now, I'll say something different. Mm-hmm. But but today, this is where I feel like God has called us to be as a church, and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, we'll see how it bears itself out in the generations to come, but we can't sit on our hands and do nothing. We right. live in a world that is quickly falling further and further away from not just God, but, but a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. a biblical morality, a biblical ethics. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And this is what we've decided to do. We've decided to make a podcast. There you go. Yeah. Well, and to, again, to clarify terms, right? When you say we live in a world, we don't, we don't mean the world entirely. We mean our little part of the world right here. Yeah. Uh, and even broadly, our country, right? Uh, we, we've seen the decline culturally and, and how rapid it's been uh, in the last uh, 10, 15 years. It, it seems to be accelerating. But we also recognize that God and His and His good plan and timing of things, the church is growing in other parts of the world, and they are having a big impact on the culture around them. Yeah. And there are pockets even in our country where we see some of that, and that's what we want to get into. Oh yeah. Um, so we don't want to sound defeatist by any stretch of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the imagination, or that we're the only ones that are are hoping to have an impact on the world around us. But uh, but by and large, recognizing this is where we are, right? This is the neighborhood that we live in. This is the city that we live in, the state, country. Uh, by and large, broadly speaking, yes, decline. Uh, the church seems to have capitulated on a lot of issues and uh, has become more and more like the culture as the years have gone on rather than seeing the culture slowed in any way or for the culture to actually be, become a little bit like the church, and so, so that's so we're we're gonna get into that, get into this idea of, of two kingdoms, uh, and and what we're aiming for as a church. What should the church expect, and what should be the goal of the church? All of that's wrapped up into this conversation. Well, okay, so maybe we, we, I don't know if I did this so far. We should tell you the name of the episode, right? And what we're thinking about. Hopefully, you saw that when you clicked on it. But the, the question we want to answer today to kind of lay the groundwork for where this season is going to go is can Christians actually change the world around them? Mm-hmm. Can Christians actually make an impact? And, and wrapped up in that question is some assuming questions is should Christians mm-hmm. want to change the world around them? Right. Or how should Christians try to change the world around them? We're going to be laying that th- those things out in, mm-hmm. in the episodes ahead this whole season but that question, I think, captures the moment we are in, not just as a church, not just as pastors of this church, but, but the Christian world in general, mm-hmm. is can Christians actually change the world? Like, right. let's start there. Can we do it? Should we do it? Ought we to do it? Is it a part of uh, what Christ has commanded, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the Great Commission, but when the end of the commission says that we are to teach obedience to those who are made disciples to obey all that Christ has commanded. Is this something Christ has commanded? That, mm. That's a question that doesn't get asked very often. Right. I sent you and Pastor Sean a, a video, as yesterday or the day before, of uh, a hymn sing that was taking place at a pub in some mm-hmm. undisclosed location in this country. Uh, we won't mention any places in particular, but you said something a second ago that made me think of that again is that there are places around our nation where the the businesses mm-hmm. even have taken on a christian flavor we should say yeah. right and my question to you and pastor Sean was why can't we have this in Roanoke right 
And that is the question that has been swirling in my head now for months. Mm-hmm. As I have seen debates on social media over uh, the two kingdom view, over theonomy, Christian nationalism, eschatology, all of these different discussions, as we've read books, as we've listened to sermons and talks, and we, I think we've done so as pastors fairly fairly broadly sure. so that we can have these conversations with our members and with one another and thinking about vision and direction for our church. Mm-hmm. The question that has continued to swirl around in my head is this question. Can we change the world? And if we can, why aren't we? Hmm. Yeah. Are we lazy? <laughs> I guess yeah. it's another way of putting it. So, so maybe to get to the answer, to our answer to that question, I think a good place for us to start then is to think about the various ways that Christians see the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we'll kind of come at this from two different directions. I'll hand it to you to kind of lay out maybe and think through the first one. Or, or I'll just ask you, the first one would be the conversation about the kingdom of God itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, yeah. what comes to mind? What word associations, what ideas does it spark in your mind, at least historically? And, and why don't you tell us maybe how that's changed, if it has changed in your own thinking over yeah. the last few yeah. years? Certainly, yeah. Certainly. Uh, younger, I would have thought mainly about the church and uh, Christ's rule in the church uh, as the kingdom of God, and, and that ultimately that doesn't come until the end, until Christ's return and he establishes his kingdom in fullness, um, that, that that is the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a little taste and a little outposts here uh, now with the church, and then the full kingdom will come uh, much later uh, whenever he returns. So uh, let me stop you. So yeah. you're saying that you have historically had a both-and perspective, at least somewhat, that the kingdom of God is here but not yet fully here? Yes, yes, but that, that the kingdom of God was very much limited to the church. Right, okay, that, okay. Um, that that is the only place you would see it here. That that's the only place you would see his rule mm. here. Yeah, and yeah. and while I I still agree that that's the place you see it most clearly as it mm-hmm. should be right. That yeah. because he's laid down how the church should govern itself and how the church should live uh, with each other and, and certainly in relation to the world. Um, my understanding of Christ's lordship over all of creation has certainly grown and shifted over the years in, in seeing that, that God is sovereign over the rulers of the world, yeah. uh, all of them, yeah. and that this is his world, his creation, and he has not left any of it to chance, yeah. uh, that he is not um, afraid to use the vilest person for his glory, yeah. uh, whether they repent and believe or not. And uh, we see that example laid out through Scripture. So that's that's probably the biggest way that my my view on God's kingdom has shifted over the years. Mm. I, I think I would agree with you. I, I think that for me, uh, there was a time probably in the early 2010s uh, coming out of college where I really began to drink of the cultural cultural reclaiming waters mm-hmm. uh, but not not in the way that we see them today uh, I listened to a lot of Tim Keller list, read a lot of Gospel Coalition articles and was mm-hmm. very heavily influenced by that young restless and reformed movement yeah. um, and so there 
but I felt like in those times the kingdom of God was seen as a almost as a subversive thing. And, and has there a book? Is there a book called The Subversive Kingdom? I, I think that that gets mm-hmm. on it. Uh, the the idea that like I just always have the memory of of Tim Keller talking about having his lesbian Bible study right. <laughs> and like. This idea of like entering into the fray and entering into the darkness and bringing uh, the kingdom of God to bear on the darkness. Now, I think that there's some 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 good to that, but but that's that kind of point of view. I think is a slippery slope mm-hmm. that can that can waffle onto becoming more like the culture than being distinct from the culture, um, and, and yet still being in it. Right. Uh, so that's probably how my thinking has changed is uh, I would say that I've had a more triumphant point of view over the last few years mm-hmm. uh, and much more of a uh, the kingdom of God is coming. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right. So why are we sitting back doing nothing or why are we trying to to diddle with the culture and pretend like we somehow understand and and we want to get in there with you and then we're going to all of a sudden pull a bait and switch and like oh we've been Christians the whole time you didn't mm-hmm. know it uh, yeah. because we were I don't know yeah. covered in tattoos and you know people covered in tattoos but you know what I'm saying like it's like yeah. we somehow tricked you all yeah. right believe in Jesus yeah but why wouldn't we come you know with guns blazing from the beginning mm-hmm. And offer the hope of the gospel. So, so that's probably how my my point of view has changed. Some of that's come from reading uh, different modern people, but also reading a lot of old dead guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly about uh, Thomas Watson's uh, "The Kingdom of Heaven." So, what's talk? Wait, no. What's the name of the book? Taken by Storm. I think is what the book is called. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend it, even if I can't remember the title. Yeah. So, so, so really, there are two main views, at least historically, at least over the past 10, 15 years that have been debated and taken back and forth, and that would be the two-kingdom view and mm-hmm. the transformationalist view of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And both of these views deal directly with this question of can Christians actually change the world around them? Right. I think both of those point of views would say, yes, they can. But the question is, how and by what means and mm-hmm. how far should they go and what should be the expectation? And order of priority. Right? And order of priority. What yeah. do you mean when you say order of priority? I just want to make sure we're on the same. Yeah, that cultural transformation doesn't become the highest priority over evangelism and discipleship. Mm. Some churches have certainly gone that way and become more of a social service than a proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. Um, other churches have gone so heavy on evangelism evangelism and discipleship only that they've neglected to care for anybody else around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so have not modeled the gospel in that way to the community around them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the, the what's really helpful for me in the two kingdom uh, mindset is to understand what is meant by two kingdoms, that there are earthly things and there are heavenly things. Mm-hmm. And that... Uh, there's a separation of church in the world, not church and state, but but church in the world. But even thinking about it in that way yep. is is helpful because that that's exactly what that argument would be: right. is that there are the things of this world that ought to be submitted to the natural law of God, um, and then there are heavenly things, those things that have been redeemed. And so one is under law, and the other is under gospel. Mm-hmm. 
Now, that's my summary. Yeah. I disagree with that yeah. personally. But but that's a summary of that point of view. Right. The reason, one of the reasons I I, I kind of uh, bucket that kind of mm-hmm. such a black and white delineation yeah. is because it tends to lean itself or, or, or go down the slope of removing oneself from the world or removing right. oneself from the culture. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that people within that point of view also have a certain point of view about the end, yep. that things are going to get bad and go from bad to worse, and we need to stay outside of it. Yeah, that's usually um, the most common. Yep. Yeah, so 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 that would that would um, that would be two kingdom. Then the other side, the other side of the spectrum would be the transformationalist uh, transformationalism uh, idea of the kingdom of God that that everything is from God, everything is neutral or good, uh, and it's what we do with it that makes it bad right. uh, or good or or, or uh, redeemed, right? And so. That point of view, though, like I mentioned a second ago, the slippery slope of it would be that it tends to to, to become uh, too much enculturated with the world. It becomes mm-hmm. too influenced, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and here's the interesting thing to me on that uh, on that note is that both sides you see examples of churches of, of even denominations who would hold to one or the other still being too influenced by the culture around them. That even the two, two kingdom folks who, who want to separate out and, and have such a distinct and sharp contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, that as, as the culture has shifted farther, 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 many of those folks as well have been drug along. They're just like, they're just a few steps back. We're not as bad yeah. as those folks, and so yeah. we're still separate from them. Yeah. When in reality, if they were to look back and say, okay, 50 years ago, our stances on these things were way over there. Now all of a sudden, you know, so we're, we're still being influenced by the culture in ways that we do not recognize. And I think that's, and maybe we can get into that in one of the episodes this season, is that, the, the, the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in is affecting us in ways that we're just not aware of if we don't stop and think yeah. and actually examine ourselves and examine, you know, have some idea of church history and not as in like sitting in judgment over them like, oh, look at those bunch of prudes back then. They, you know, they wouldn't do this or that and how ridiculous. But to actually think, oh, wait, these are folks who are trying to, to seek the Lord and honor him. I shouldn't sit in judgment over them. Maybe I can learn some things from them. And maybe it's me who's gone too far the other way, mm-hmm. right? It takes great humility and, and uh, courage to yeah. do that. So, so here, here's where I, I think I've been helped by both sides. I think that there is a, an approach here that can be both and. And mm-hmm. I know I say that all the time, but I, I think that this is a... I agree with you this time. Great. At least and some other times as well, but <laughs> this time in particular. <laughs> this is one of those times. It, can Hebrews be... From Paul and not from Paul. That's the question. <laughs> can it be both and? I think it can. We will talk about that in another episode. Can Ecclesiastes be from Solomon and not from Solomon? I think maybe. Okay, so we won't talk about that today, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's not even necessarily that I think that the, the reality is somewhere in between the two kingdom and transformationalist idea. I think that there is a more biblical approach that assumes the best and pulls the best from both and yes. sets a new thing. And here's what I would call it. Now, I'm sure there's other people who have written on this and they've called it something else, but I would call it the church militant. Mm-hmm. That, on the one hand, the church is the means by which God intends to display His glory to the world. Yes. That the church... 
that is full of Jews and Gentiles, males and females, that, that is full of all of the redeemed in every time and every place, that the universal church is God's means as, as the people of old once were, as Jesus Christ was in his first, in his first advent. Mm-hmm. So, the Christ, so, so the church is now the main means by which God intends to display his glory. But the way that he intends to display his glory through the church is by the church being forward-thinking in how they engage with the world, Mm -hmm. primarily with the gospel, secondarily by influencing through the gospel working itself out Mm -hmm. in things like the social order, in things like the household, in things like the arts, Mm -hmm. in things like small businesses, and even in the government, Yeah, right? So one of the things that that I feel like we were told back in 2020 when everything blew up with woke ideology is that the reason woke ideology was wrong is because those who stood in that progressive stream made the argument that systems could not have an inherent moral direction, mm-hmm. right? And so the reason that we didn't fall into the trap of systemic racism is because systems couldn't be racist, right? That, that's an argument, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm categorizing or, or describing that wrongly. But now we have people who are saying that if we can make the systems Christian— those same people who said we don't want to hold to woke ideology are now saying if we can make the systems Christianized, it will affect the culture. Mm-hmm. And it feels a little bit like a switch. Yeah, It feels a little bit like, wait a second, I thought you said that, that, that one of the reasons woke ideology is wrong is because systems can't, it's men and women who, mm-hmm. are, who are sinful, not systems themselves. Right. And so there's a side of it where we're, I just want to rip all the systems apart and be like, no, what must happen, and this is some things I appreciate uh, with those who who make arguments like make missions local again, Mm -hmm. right, is that forget the systems. Let's start on the ground level with people's hearts, and let's start with the basic uh, matters of life, Mm -hmm. Uh, like like your work, like your habits, uh, like your household. I don't know if that sparks anything in your mind, but... Yeah, well, I think part of it is understanding that if we do that, then if the Lord grants success and conversions of people and we're teaching them, we're discipling them how to live for Christ in every area of their life, then it's going to affect the uh, culture around and the systems that are in place. And here's the other way I would think about it, too, is... is, um, Basically, everybody wants their guy to wield the authority that's, that's... over us, right? Yeah. And in in a very real sense, if if a godly man gets into authority and he is following the Lord, then mm. then he would exercise that authority in a way that is good for everybody around because it would be righteous and just and merciful. Yeah. Um, and so for us to be so short sighted, and I think sometimes that's the issue with the, with the two kingdom uh, side of this is that there's such a sharp distinction 
that it's easy for people to, to, to compartmentalize their faith from their everyday lives in a way that, that those who do get an authority and claim to be Christians don't allow the two to mix at all. When, when mm-hmm. if we're really following Christ, it's going to affect how we do everything. And, and Scripture's full of commands that, that apply to every area of our lives. And so yeah. it's, it's strange to me how some people can buy into that. Let me give you a real quick example. Um, okay. So one of the things that's said about the, the two kingdoms is that the moral norms are not salvific in any way, but rather provide for human peace, even among the unregenerate, talking about the kingdom of man, that, that somehow um, they, they think that, yes, they're not salvific, but the normal norms more normal Sorry, the moral norms are good enough to provide for human human peace among each other, but that's we don't see that in Scripture. Like Scripture says that we're at enmity with one another because we're at enmity with God, and we don't have reconciliation with one another until we're reconciled with God. Not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do do moral laws help uh, keep from things being chaos? Yes, and that's a good yeah. thing. Um, but ha- being able to hold these things in tension, and like you said, this this idea of both and right that. That yes, moral laws are good, and, and if enacted from God's standards, they're very good and lead to the best possible outcome for everybody, unregenerate or regenerate. Um, but that 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 we would think that unregenerate man can enact laws and, and moral norms for a culture, and that lead to peace is foolishness. Yeah, because Romans one shows us what happens when man rejects God and the path that we go, to. and we're seeing that so clearly in our culture. By and large, today that, yeah. that this this just doesn't work. Yeah. So so I would think going back to what we were saying earlier, I think I think both sides of that argument about the kingdom of God in particular would say yes, Christians can change the world, but for one side they would say that shouldn't be our primary goal. For the other side, they would say that should be our primary goal mm-hmm. because it's the way that in which. By trying to change the world is the way in which the kingdom of God manifests itself, right? right? I'm arguing for something in the middle here Mm -hmm. that says that the church is the goal. The church itself is the means by which God's glory is going to be displayed. So the church is the goal. Making disciples is the goal and bringing them into the life of the church primarily seen through the life of local churches Mm -hmm. as, as kingdom outposts. That is the goal. But the means of doing it is by bringing the kingdom of God to bear on every sphere of our lives. So the way in which we make disciples is by bringing the various spheres of our life, whether that's as a church, as a home, in the state, bringing those spheres under God's rule and reign. It, mm-hmm. it is expressing a reality that's already present. The reality is, is that Christ has risen, He has ascended, and He is reigning from heaven. Yeah. He is upon the throne. He is reigning. That is the reality. That reality has just not been seen yet. Mm-hmm. And so our job, though, is to reveal that in yeah. the way that we own businesses, mm-hmm. the way that we talk to people, the mm-hmm. way that we spend our money, the way that we eat and drink. The way we exercise authority, whether it's the way that we exercise over us. our homes, <laughs> over our own bodies, over yeah. our families, over our co- you know employees or, or uh, co-workers who are under us in some way, in all of these things. And if you're the politician who is the mayor of the city, what what church are you a member of? We're not we're not we're not arguing that the church 
that there should be a church that governs a city, right? No. We're not saying that. But the mayor of the city, it would be great if the mayor was a member of a local church or even a pastor of a local church who has a plurality of elders, yeah. who is held accountable, yeah. who when they make ungodly decisions for the city, the church would say, hey, you should not do that. That is against yeah. God's law. And yeah. that man repent and yeah. change his ways, right? Yeah. It's like that is what we're talking about. That kind of transformation can and has taken place all around the world in various times and places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not that we're arguing for a church to be over the state. Or for the state to be over the church. Absolutely not, right? But for us to say, you know, people, especially 2020, well, we're, we're electing a president, not a pastor, right? Yeah. Well, I, I can't remember who I, who I heard say this or I would give them credit, but I loved it, right? That, that in Romans 13, the, the government servants are called deacons, yeah. right? They're God's servants, yeah. So yes, you should vote for somebody who is a servant of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they are whether they know it or not. But yeah. we should we should elect people who are willingly, joyfully servants of God. Yeah. To these places because yeah. they are His servants. Amen. Amen. So. I think that's exactly right. Okay. So 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 that's where we're at <laughs> the king uh, with the kingdom of God. Uh, just to reiterate again that the church is the goal. Yeah. Right. That that expanding the kingdom of God is primarily expanding the gathered saints mm-hmm. to the ends of the earth. Yeah. The way that we do that, though, is through bringing the kingdom of God to bear on every aspect of our life so that disciples are made through the, through the outward witness of the mm-hmm. way we're living, right? Yeah. I, I love that passage in Acts where it says that, that, that they saw uh, Peter and, and who else is it? Is it John? And mm-hmm. that they were common, everyday men, yep. and they, they knew that, that they had been with Jesus. Yep. Unschooled, ordinary men, yeah. but they had yep. been with Jesus. That's exactly what we want, right? Yep. Uh, so, so, so that's where we're out of the kingdom of God. Another aspect of this that 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 drives how we think about Christians in the world and what we should give ourselves to is actually our view of the end of mm-hmm. what we call eschatology. How right. we think about how things are going to be at the end or yes. here in the end, if you think about it that way. <laughs> Who knows <laughs> how you think of tomorrow is going to go down before Christ comes back? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's really, I mean. This is maybe review for some folks, but there's three views, right? We have mm-hmm. the the premillennial, the amillennial, and the postmillennial view, and I, I say them in that order because of their their view on the return of Christ in particular and when He's coming back. Uh, and so maybe we just talk about those three quickly, but talk mm-hmm. about how. Here's the way I'll put it: uh, how you view the end actually does affect how you view the present, <laughs> or how you work in the present. Absolutely. Right? Well, and that gets back to that first one of the first comments you made. Are we just lazy? Well, this this determines whether it's laziness or if it's just disbelief yeah. or something else, like yeah. a misunderstanding about yeah. what we're called to. Yeah. Uh, because if, if you believe rightly and you're not doing anything, then, yeah, you're lazy. Yeah. Or you've got some other sin that you need to repent of. But if some of us just, I don't understand what the end is, and so I don't understand how to get there either. Yeah, and so what you, my role you, is in that. Yeah, so you coach the thirteen plus in our local homeschool soccer league. Yeah, what's the worst game you guys lost so far? Eight to one. Eight to one. Mercy rule. Yeah, the, they stopped keeping them, score. You got, you, you, they didn't score anymore after that. <laughs> they quit trying. Well, here's the question <laughs> though: When you have five minutes left in the game mm-hmm. and your team is down eight one, yeah, what is the great temptation? Yeah. It's to be like, well, let's just run. Let's just kind of run around in circles for five more minutes because there's no hope here. Yeah. There are some people who have that view, and we would call them premillennials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if that's broadly your speaking, view, not everybody, but broadly speaking. If that's speaking, your view of the end, yeah. 
then it's going to affect the way you live now. It does. Okay, so so let's hit these real quick. It's a it's a it's a survival mentality rather than a building mentality. Yeah, yeah. No, that I think that's really helpful actually. Uh, yeah. So so that would kind of be the the view of uh, most premillennials. You have two strains of premillennial. You have historic premillennialism and then dispensational premillennialism. They're they agree broadly about uh, the end. Uh, their disagreement's going to be on who's who in the end and, <laughs> and how they view the church in Israel. That's yeah. would be, that would be the disagreement down the road. But, but they would read the book of Revelation, the, the, uh, the apocalypse, the, John's Revelation. They would read it chronologically mm-hmm. and historically. And so they would say that what Revelation lays out is a, is a chronological book that's all leading yeah. in, down a timeline. And specifically when they get to Revelation 20, their view of the millennium, right, mm-hmm. is that it's Christ coming and and his reigning and and the binding of Satan for a time, and then Satan gets to come back. And, and there's a lot of different things that go different places, right? And so premillennials get caricatured all the time for their charts and... Yeah. and and their complex systems, and really a, a lot of it, most of it, laid out by uh, John Nelson Darby, um, mm-hmm. and so there's all of that there, right? But the most important thing is the view that in the end things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. And so when you take that point of view that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, when you take the view of a tribulation and maybe you're pre-trib, meaning you believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, mm-hmm. or maybe if you're post-trib, that's really bad, right? So, yep. so, so like Christians are not going to be taken out mm-hmm. of the world until after these seven years of just, what is it, no, blood three, up Three to and the, a half of, of terrible. Right? Okay. First three and a half years of peace. Okay, oh. at least according to some. Okay, so, so according to some, man, yeah. we're just getting into the weeds. Here. Oh, yeah. but but blood up to the <laughs> haunches of the horse, right? Yep. So, so it's, that's pretty deep. Yeah, if that's what you're expecting to happen, mm-hmm. then the idea of opening uh, a, a Christian bookstore so that you can evangelize your city is not necessarily something that you're going to be gung ho about. Now, mm-hmm. you may feel called to do it, and you may do it, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be with the purpose of seeing this whole city saved, right? per se. Uh, and, and, of course, I, I, I am characterizing that a bit, but but it gets at the point, right? Well, let's go to the other end. Go ahead. What yeah. do you want to say well, about it? It seems like that because... How do you want to make fun of premillennialism? No, kidding. no, no. But I think one of the dangers there is that it, I think that lends towards, and this may be part of why it became so big in our culture, is that it does tend more towards an individualistic view of the world, so why would I start a Christian bookstore to provide for myself and my family until the Lord returns and this place goes to hell in a handbasket, right? Yeah. Versus, I'm going to start a bookstore because this this bookstore could change the neighborhood that we're in yeah. for the glory of God. Yes. Yeah. Right. Now, I think all three views should be preppers. Sure. Just just because. Yeah, but for different reasons. <laughs> yes. I think we should all be stocking up on things. Uh, so, so you got those that that view. Then you have the amillennial view. Uh, which, which, alert, alert, we both fall into, so yeah. does Pastor Sean. Most of the time. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, Me, not well, Sean. I would say, here's the way I would put it, <laughs> is I am a hopeful on-mill. Sure. I'm, I'm a positive on-mill. Yeah. I'm a, 
let's let's see things change now. Um, yeah. uh, which basically, uh, the way that we read Revelation is that it's 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 uh, on one hand it's metaphorical, it's it's a picture, it's mm-hmm. it's it's not literal, uh, and that the other hand would especially be, the timelines. Yeah. So so the cr- the chronology of the thing is that Revelation is talking about. A uh, one time, but it's told seven different times over mm-hmm. and over again, uh, and so that would be the number of perfection or completeness, right? And so we read Revelation in each section, right? So the first sections, chapters one through three, uh, each section retells the same thing, but from a different perspective, a different insight, a different uh, spiritual truth is brought out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we would see is that there is no literal thousand years. There's no literal millennium. That is a number that's used to describe a long time, mm-hmm. and we're living in that long time. Yeah, and a complete time. Yeah, right. and that, 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 that Satan has been crushed. He has been defeated. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have any workings right now, mm-hmm. but but his doom is sure. And, and so he is operating, even now, uh, squirming under the foot of Christ mm-hmm. uh, until the day where, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, the last enemy to be defeated will be death. Yeah. Uh, but all of the other enemies of Christ are or have been defeated uh, right now. Mm-hmm. And so this kingdom is already but not yet. The kingdom of Christ has been uh, consummated. It has not been... Wait, is that the right word? It's mm-hmm. been initiated but not yet consummated. Inaugurated. Inaugurated. Whatever. That's one Inaugurated, one. not yet consummated. Yeah. It has been begun, but it is not full yet. Mm-hmm. And we're living in the time when the church, Jews and Gentiles, are bringing that kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, into its full expression mm-hmm. here on the earth until it rolls over into Christ creating a new heavens and new earth where the kingdom will be fully realized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's that means that we're going to have victors and we're going to have martyrs. Yep. Right? Somebody's here. Somebody's here knocking on the door. Do you know who it is? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> we always get... It was aggressive. Wonderful pastoral visits. Uh, and then finally... Uh, we have our post mill friends who believe that agree they agree with our mills by and large, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we agree uh, about the kingdom of God. We agree about where things are going. Uh, but the big question, the big difference, is that instead of ending with much suffering or having uh, victors and martyrs, the post mills would believe that in time the kingdom is going to fully expand into Christian peace, into Christian victory, into a Christian golden age, and that will inaugurate and bring back Christ's return when we enter into the golden age. Uh, Now, if you have that point of view, uh, which we sympathize with, and and we would, it's the kind of, even pre-mills, we all want (laughs) post-millennialism. Even if we don't believe it's coming, even if we don't believe it's going to happen, we would want that. We would all want that. And so the the point of view there is that there's going to be a time where all of culture is redeemed, where everything is Christianized, and there's a great level of Christian peace and justice. And those most often are the folks who are going to fall into a Christian nationalism, theonomous point of view. Um, which is natural, which naturally makes sense. Yeah. It's not that they're fighting for that. It's that that's the logical conclusion based on their eschatology. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but where we're at, yeah. or, or 
I mean, I'll answer for myself. We'll see where you're at. Um, and, and if your eldership is in, uh, <laughs> in jeopardy up in the air. No, <laughs> but that, that, that we stand in a time where there are going... I think this is the best way to, to, to summarize it. There's a time of victors and there's a time of martyrs. And the famous quote, right, is that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, right? That, that you always have to have... That you always have to have... How long were you talking on that muted? Pretty long. I don't know that that last comment that you said was helpful actually got recorded. Oh, man. Oh, well. Okay. Well. Sorry. I'll see if I can pick it up on the When they started knocking, I'm muted, so it wouldn't be... Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. Well, one of the things that... uh, (laughs) Basically, if we didn't get that audio, David said that our eschatology is somewhat based on our personality. I I wondered how much, if any, it is. You you proposed... Yes. Postulated that it might be... I want to think more on it. Yeah. So if we didn't record that, we're going to come back to it at a later episode. But the belief that that there must be martyrs in order to be victors, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, the thinking about church history, that there had to be polycarps for there to be Alfreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that there had to be those who gave their lives uh, so that there could be King Alfreds down the line mm-hmm. uh, who fought for. Uh, Christendom, who fought for uh, the gospel and to expand the kingdom of God uh, or to bring the kingdom of God to bear uh, on the world around them. So that's that's where we're at, that there's going to be ebbs, there's going to be flows, there's going to be ups and downs in, in this time as we await Christ's return. Mm-hmm. And because of that, whenever we have been given ground, we should take it for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. uh, getting back at that idea of the church militant. Yeah. So, so maybe this is kind of a good place for us to kind of begin to wind things down. We're at 46 minutes already at this point. So what is life actually like for us? What are the waters that, that you and I actually swim in as pastors of this church? What are the waters our church swims in? Um, yeah, I don't know. If, if somebody asked you, if they were like, hey, man, what's it like for you guys as a church right now? Hmm. Uh, what would be the things that you'd highlight? Good and bad. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the the the, the hard things would be um, that that it does seem to be a season of personal and family difficulties. That uh, the stresses of the last few years, broadly speaking, but then there's just a lot of individual uh, suffering going on and challenges in the homes and uh, family situations that I think are requiring so much attention. Mm-hmm. that it's hard to look up and see that there's more to be done. Mm-hmm. Or at the same time, you've got some who who want to be about kingdom work so much that it's hard to remember that what they're doing in the home is kingdom work, mm-hmm. that they're discouraged and they feel like they're not contributing when in reality they're contributing greatly. It's just in ways that won't be seen for 10 or 15, 20 years. If only there was another podcast about yeah. the home. How about that? Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, so yeah, I think that's that's probably the the where we're swimming right now is is the the tension between how do we as a church work together to advance the kingdom, but also bear each other's burdens in a way that realizes that we are advancing the kingdom with our kids, with each other's kids, uh, with extended family as we minister to one another. Um, but but to to keep our vision broad for those who who tend to, to focus in. And to 
um, and to make sure those who tend to focus more broadly actually apply it uh, in a focused way as well. Yeah, no, that's helpful. That's, that's helpful. too big. Is it, I, well, I think about some of the songs we've been recently trying to teach our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been trying to think of more songs that are a little bit more uh, forward thinking and a little bit more uh, triumphant, a little bit more mm-hmm. excited yeah. uh, and joyful, trying yeah. to, to create a spirit of joy, mm-hmm. uh, not create, but, but uh, to, to bring that to bear, right? right. The, the fruit of the spirit of joy yeah. uh, to hope, bear yeah, right. in the life of our church, yeah. uh, in, in our prayer times, mm-hmm. uh, praying uh, with the mindset that Christ is victorious, uh, that his kingdom will come, that it will be on earth as it is in heaven, uh, and that if he if he didn't mean that, he wouldn't have told us to pray for that. Right. Uh, so bringing that to bear, uh, and, and even in the preaching, uh, I've really aimed in my preaching lately to press us forward, mm-hmm. uh, is to, to, to behold Christ and then to follow him forward. Right. Um, and so I think that that's the other big one, is, is trying to make the applications of this sermon focused on your homes and then the world around you and how can you drive those things to be more and more submitted to the kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that those are some, some just practical things that we're aiming to do. Uh, as we think about the different classes that we've begun to teach for mm-hmm. our community in yep. the Barnabas Center, I... I want us to be focused uh, on living as families, as households in this world and engaging with those who are not followers of Christ Mm -hmm. with the intention of seeing them become disciples, that we can do this, right? And that that there's a sense in which we want to protect our children and and Mm -hmm. guard our children and, and help our children, but there's not this false dichotomy of my family and the church Mm-hmm. And the two shall never meet. But how do we do this as families? How yeah. do we how do we bust out into this? Now there are times where just the men are there. That mm-hmm. that's right and that's good. And there's just time when the women are there. That's right and good. Yeah. But but by and large, here's the phrase. But how do you have family integrated missions, local mm-hmm. missions? Right. Yep. Chew on that one. We can talk about that. Yeah. Talk about that one. Uh, some dangling participles from. Uh, uh, some of what we talked about today as far as God's sovereignty. Yeah. One of the articles yeah. was talking about sovereignty as metaphor. I'd love to get into that and also about our agency that God has given us. Um, what What is in our power to change? Yeah. What has he given us to do? Um, you know, those are those will be some good discussions coming up. Well, I think today we've done well to answer the, the basic question is, can Christians or should Christians aim to change their world? And I think the resounding answer is yes, we yeah. should. Now the question remains, how should we do that? Yeah. Or what does that look like? And that's really what we're going to talk about the rest of the season. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about the phrase I mentioned earlier of making missions uh, local again. Uh, we're going to talk about what, do we, what, what would it look like if we were to actually impact the world around us in our culture, in our little corner here of the world, yeah. uh, because we're not... You know, the rural suburbs where everybody's white-collared and everybody's got acres and acres of land. Mm-hmm. Some people do, but not everybody. Yeah. Uh, what does it look like here in a, in a city that's, that's dark and broken and needy uh, for us to create something beautiful and glorious and, and, and joyful yeah. uh, that actually has an impact? So those are things we're going to lay out uh, to come. But this is a big task. Mm-hmm. 
that's why I think I hope pray this podcast is helpful because yeah. we're we're getting into some some heavy things. Yeah. We're getting into some big things, yeah. um, and we don't want to go alone. Right. Uh, I often tell our people that pastors are shepherds. We're not cowboys, mm-hmm. and I don't want to drag our church along like it's some kind of calf yeah. that I've tied its legs up with. I want to lead our church uh, faithfully and, and tenderly. Uh, but I want us to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are pastors that need to be fed, uh, and so we need to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other closing thoughts you have, brother? No, I'm looking forward to getting into these things in more detail and uh, thinking about how we work through these things together as a church, as, yeah. a, as a family of families. That's great. Well, we're working on a few other things, uh, content stuff to, to kind of help us move along. This podcast is not going to be the only thing that we do. Uh, we're working on a Patreon uh, where people can go and subscribe and get other content, uh, can get some of your daily devotional thoughts that you send out mm-hmm. to them. If you, here's, here's a plug. If you don't <laughs> want to pay for David's daily devotional thoughts, then just come join our church, yeah. and then you get them free every day straight <laughs> to your uh, text message inbox. Uh, but we're going to have those on there. We're going to have other helps, uh, questions, PDFs. Uh, we may throw some extra audio up there, yeah. uh, some stuff, songs we're singing, different things like that, um, to just kind of help serve others uh, who may be listening to this. So, so all of that's coming down down the pipe, pipe mm-hmm. one of the two. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, We'll keep you guys in in the know about that. Well, thanks for listening to this uh, new episode, new season of new iteration of Plowing and Planting. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Uh, We pray that you would go, that you would plow, and that you would plant. Until next time, we're out. See you.